Hello, I'm Bo Huang, CFA, and welcome to the CFA UK in Conversation podcast. This is the show for investment professionals all about issues, interests, and insights in today's profession. In this episode, we'll be talking to Heather Manners, founding partner, CEO, and portfolio manager of Asian Extra Pan Fund at Prusik here in London, asking about her approach of investing in Asia and any changes with regards to the opportunity sets in the aftermath of the COVID-19 crisis. Thanks, Heather, for joining us today. Hi, Bo. How are you? Yeah, good, good. You and I have been knowing each other for quite some time, and yeah. yourself have been investing in Asia for over 30 years now. You started your career at Henderson in 1986, so you had quite a formative experience of 87 crash and several other crises over the cycles. After 17 years of career at Henderson, with your last position as the head of Asian and emerging markets, you founded Prusik an Asian equity specialist in 2005. In your role as a CIO and the CEO of the firm, you managed the Prusik Asia Fund, a long-only Asian equity fund with a highly active share and a fundamental approach. This year, the fund hits its 15th anniversary. So as a seasoned fundamental bottom-up stock picker, can you walk us through today uh, through your investment approach at Prusik and how you navigate through the cycles? Well, thank you very much for this opportunity, Bo. It's, it's lovely to talk to you. Um, at Prusik, um, we are, um, or at least the Prusik Asia Fund, which is the fund that I run, which we're talking about today, um, we're all uh, Asia X Japan equity experts. And the Prusik Asia Fund specifically is effectively a growth fund. The approach that we have is we look for areas which we call themes, but in fact, what we look at as a, look at as a theme is an area which has something structural or specific, which is driving the growth, regardless of the economic cycle. And that's really very important. And it means we can tap into some really long-term structural themes and changes, which maybe um, involves staying with the same companies over many, many years, or maybe evolves into slightly different investments, but with the same sort of background uh, drivers. Um, one of our longer term themes, which I think I've been investing in since even before I left Henderson, was um, the rolling uh, change across different countries in Asia as they become more mature and, and wealthier, where you see a switch, switch over from traditional retail, which would be sort of mom and pop stores, unbranded, you know, markets, those kinds of uh, retail opportunities into branded retail and similarly packaged and branded goods. And the development of the local brands of both retail and of the products that are sold uh, are, are, are huge growth stories because effectively you get the consumption growth from the economy as well as a, a much faster background growth rate for the modern retail side of the story. And on top of that, you get, um, if you're really lucky, some additional brand value um, as local brands assert themselves and quite often take market share away from the foreigners who are incumbent. So that can be a very, very exciting sort of structural theme. And it's a so it was one example of the kind of opportunity we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And how about internet and e-commerce? Um, absolutely. We um, we have um, had a very big waiting in technology over the years. Um, this period just gone by, no exception. 
um, clearly there are some enormous um, opportunities within the technology sector. Um, and, you know, I think the uh, the recent advent of uh, the COVID situation has accelerated some of these technology themes. So we've probably seen maybe two or three years of development take place in, in, in a couple of months. Um, we would say the same, but, but as it happens about the modern retail story as well, because I think, you know, um, certainly places like Vietnam, we've seen, you know, one of our companies, which runs a convenience um, uh, store, you know, grocery store, saw a huge increase in market share as customers stayed away from the more disorganized retail side. But but for sure, um, you know, areas such as e-commerce, home delivery, um, obviously online gaming, um, streaming, um, and all other aspects of digital life from uh, you know, cybersecurity, <laughs> working mm-hmm. from home, um, data centers. Um, these are all areas which we have had a huge exposure to and, and it's been very, very successful in the last um, year, certainly um, in the last few months um, as these trends just got exaggerated by, by the virus. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking forward, uh, when we talk about this new normal world post-COVID-19, uh, are there some new themes that you and the team at Prusik have identified and that you think could benefit investors over the long run? Um, yes, I think um, we've seen some themes uh, which have become less easy to, um, or some areas which I think have become less easy to invest in. Um, for example, um, areas which had been very popular, such as travel, tourism, um, entertainments are going out generally. Um, those areas have really taken, uh, you know, a hit from the uncertainty and remain in very uncertain territory. So, you know, it's been important to look for areas which we think are actually beneficial or coming out of this um, very strong. And we've identified, I mean, quite a few. I think. Um, yeah, our, our process as we went into the COVID uh, situation was to basically make sure our portfolio, every single stock fell into one of four categories, full on beneficiaries, which was about half of the portfolio. And that included areas like obviously e-commerce, but also healthcare, PPE makers, those kinds of things. Companies which were largely unaffected, um, which would be TSMC, Samsung, those are kind of very well-known examples. Um, companies which were affected, but which we think will be really benefiting long-term. And I've just described um, you know, Vietnamese company, Mobile World Group, with a convenience store, which I think is just going to keep its market share that it's just gained throughout all of this. Um, other examples would be areas where there's massive consolidation as a result of the uh, impact of covid um, and so the larger players will come out with much larger uh, market shares going mm-hmm. forward and a much stronger business. Um, and then um, finally, what what we call in portfolio insurance, but what most people will call gold mining. <laughs> um, but certainly the gold price and miners um, together have also performed quite well over this period. And it's been interesting that even though most countries have sort of come out of lockdown, although I know many are now sort of going back into some sort of quasi lockdown again, but um, these same segments have all performed really well during and since um, without really much let up. Um, and the trick now is to try and find what, what from here, because certainly a lot of the technology companies that you mentioned earlier are now very expensive and they're very widely held. Um, and although they do have very, very good you know, outlooks in terms of growth, um, there's a real question as to what sort of valuation you want to pay for that. 
And actually, we do think there are some really quite interesting areas which haven't yet been fully appreciated by the market, which we we are looking at uh, or have started to make some new investments in. Um, The first one is what I would call well-being. Um, And I mean, I have a theory that society needs to be a lot healthier than it is. And it's our duty as individuals to be healthy for society because society can only live at the sort of immunity level, as it were, of the weaker members of society. And I think this sort of covers all sorts of different areas from personal well-being and sort of community um, well-being through to sustainability um, and all the sort of ESG factors. But the way we've interpreted this in the portfolio so far is to invest in areas such as electric bicycles, bicycles generally, electric vehicles, fresh food, food generally, but but where food is healthy, um, mineral and vitamin supplements um, and, uh, you know, other aspects of, of maintaining good health and good immunity. Um, sustainability and and then sort of specific areas where we can find them where we're looking at things like um, you know refuse management waste management and so forth um, Mm -hmm. in much more sustainable um, areas so I think well-being is going to it's a wide concept but I think these areas are going to find uh, individual um, a lot of demand and you know where they're more of a municipal I think Mm -hmm. um, you know we'll see governments were fully behind spending a lot of money in these areas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the second area which we I think will continue to do very well is certainly still performing very nicely at the moment um, and I think it's really only just started is I think everybody's structural shift which will be a much more of a hybrid office environment where people will work from home a lot more if not every day um, as we are doing at the moment they will be doing so um, in a much more sort of contingent continuous fashion um, mm-hmm. And on and off throughout the weeks and months ahead and possibly years. And so working from home drives its own sort of particular ecosystem in terms of what what sort of areas of, uh, you know, opportunities we can find. Um, And we're looking at areas such as cybersecurity. Um, but we're also looking at, and obviously, you know, data, data centers and, and supporting, you know, huge amounts of additional um, storage and, and internet usage generally. Um, but we're also looking at uh, stocks which are pertaining to the comfort of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, stocks like such as sort of Sophia, which is a Chinese um, maker of built-in wardrobes, cupboards, desk units, those kinds of things that people, if you're spending more time at home, you'll prepare mm-hmm. to spend more money on your home. You're not going on a holiday, so you might spend mm-hmm. that money on your home. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen some very strong sales growth in these areas as well. Um, the third area I mean, I've sort of alluded to earlier, which is sort of consolidation beneficiaries, um, <laughs> but where there's sort of a special X factor as well. Um, one example of this might be Indian retail or oh, sorry Indian residential property mm-hmm. um, the residential uh, property um, affordability levels in India are the best they have ever been um, and uh, you, one of the ways that we identify our themes is to look for anomalies which tend to come up in the form of abnormal growth above 20 percent um, mm-hmm. new patterns of behavior all key areas um, where you see something abnormal taking place, like a first or a record or a shortage. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, those are usually quite strong clues that something quite interesting is going on. So we, we think that that 
the Indian um, blue chip residential developers could be interesting at these levels. And the Indian residential property market has been in a terrible state for a long time um, since they pref- uh, you know, introduced the uh, Real Estate Reform Act a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And so the consolidation in that sector has been huge. And I think it will be sustaining another round of, of consolidation as we speak, um, which leaves some of the leaders like Godrej Properties um, looking very strong indeed. Um, and um, and I think the last area which we are very interested in at the moment is in China, and it's to do with infrastructure. Um, we're about to hear what the government has in store for us for the four, for the uh, 14th five-year plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that they will be spending um, really very significant sums of money um, in very specific areas, 5G, railway, high-speed railway specifically, ultra-high-voltage um, transmission of power, mm-hmm. to name three areas, but for Internet of Things would be another area. Um, Cybersecurity would be another area. But I think the sort of physical aspect of this, you know, machinery, cement, um, and some of the other sort of uh, construction-orientated businesses in China, um, which are totally at the opposite end of the spectrum valuation-wise to the uh, well-known and much-loved technology and internet stocks, um, Mm -hmm. are really really worthwhile to look at at the moment, Um, not least of all because just they're very refreshing from a valuation point of view. Mm -hmm. And in China, it's always very rewarding to have a government policy tailwind, and we certainly think that this sector will have that um, going forward. So those are a few few of the areas, Bo, which we're looking at at the moment. And um, yeah, it's it's fun. Um, It feels as though we're moving forward inch by inch. but obviously still with a lot of uncertainty. And I think the key thing to find at all times is, as I said earlier at the beginning, you know, areas which have um, something structural taking place around them, regardless of what happens to the economy. And I, I suspect the economy may be worse than people are currently factoring in, certainly mm-hmm. in terms of stock price prices. Um, so I think it's, it's very important to have that um, certainty or sense of, uh, of a real kind of um, conviction um, that something is, is supported by more than just what does the economy do in the following quarter. Yeah, that's very interesting, especially the aspects when you talk about the new uh, areas for investments in terms of the sustainability of new patterns of life. I think that that all provides very interesting long-term themes and the investment areas. Um, I think there is another topic that many investors would be very interested at the moment is uh, how the recent political movements in Hong Kong would impact its place as the key investment hub in Asia. Obviously, as you just mentioned, Asia, like many other emerging markets, represent a lot of idiosyncratic opportunities from the bottom-up perspective. However, the political regime also plays a very important role here. So how would the security law change in uh, that the Chinese government is implementing in Hong Kong would change the opportunity sets in Asia over the long term? I think um, it... It's the, obviously the biggest impact is is how do people view their investments in in Hong Kong. Um, I don't think that it's particularly going to change the opportunity set across the rest of the region. And clearly, investors are already very happy to invest in Asia, in China. Um, and my view on um, what happens next in Hong Kong is perhaps a little bit more positive than than many other people's. Um, and it's for the simple reason that. Well, now here we are. Um, the Chinese government needs to make a success of this. 
And um, and I think what we're going to see is Hong Kong become, for sure, a lot more China-facing. I mean, that seems like an obvious statement. But um, specifically, I mean, in terms of financial services, which is which is what Hong Kong is really well, well known for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that China has a huge number of really very significant plans for its own financial services industry mm-hmm. um, already underway. Um, I mean, people worry, and we're no exception on this, about... You know, potentially sanctions coming from the U.S. against U.S. listed, um, sorry, Chinese listed companies in the U.S. And certainly, many of these companies are already making plans to move their listings, at least to dual listings, with other the other side listed in Hong Kong, or for mm-hmm. that matter, moving back to Hong Kong wholesale. And obviously, that brings a huge amount of additional um, trading volume and business to Hong Kong, the Hong Kong uh, financial community. Um, but in China itself as well, um, we're about to celebrate the first anniversary of the Star Board, which is um, the technology board in China. Um, and we're also going to see, um, I think, a lot of new listings taking place in the technology in that technology area going forward of the big IPO, um, uh, you know, lineup of of companies. And I think China's very keen to showcase its technology mm-hmm. um, and also to reorganize its domestic indices, which I think, you know, to make it much more attractive to foreigners as well. And I think we're going to see some rearranging there of, of what the indices look like. And um, I'm also um, aware of the fact, and I think it's a little bit of an anomaly, that um, the MSCI Futures and Options Board just agreed to move to Hong Kong, which, considering that's a fairly US, uh, you know, organize, an American organization, um, I think geopolitically that sort of really tells you that there's still a lot of power in Hong Kong in terms of a financial services center and, and what the opportunity is and how deep and liquid the market can be there. Um, and, you know, I'm even hearing there's a possibility that we might see some dual listings of some Irish ETFs and so forth as well. And I think all of these things combined um, tell you that the Hong Kong, you know, financial sector is still actually pretty alive and well. And um, there's lots to do and it will be quite China facing. And as I said earlier, and I think that, you know, what China plans to do next in terms of, you know, creating more opportunities for foreigners to invest in, whether it's Chinese bonds or other Chinese um, investment vehicles of one sort or another, I think that the um, flow through Hong Kong will will probably uh, be significantly greater when we look in the next two or three years from now. And that will bring opportunities, you know, not least of all for stocks like Hong Kong Exchange, um, which is a stock exchange in Hong Kong, but, but um, around it as well. Um, so yeah, I, I would say Hong Kong is not completely dead yet. Yeah, Don't thank you very. Off. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. Maybe there will be another discussion another time about your view about the Chinese Asia market and how the current uh, asset allocators are underweighting that market for the moment. But yes, well, that, another whole subject. I look forward to that. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. Look out for our next podcast details in the regular CFUK newsletter or subscribe to CFUK's SoundCloud channel. Find out more at www.cfuk.org slash podcasts.